we pick it up in verse 10 tonight of first, I'm sorry, of first Galatians, the only Galatians, by the way, Galatians 1. Let's talk about two very, very key and important elements to our walk tonight. I mean, several other things may arise from it, but at least I want to make sure we have covered the two things that are directly, as we'll see here in a moment, directly addressed in this text. Read along with me, if you would, please, starting again in verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things in which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, but I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith in which he tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I know that it's another night. It's another Wednesday night, Lord, and this one is, there's a little bit of warmth in the air, and I thank you for that, but the danger can be, Lord, I mean, when the, when the building's too cold, we, we, we freeze, and that's not cool, and when the building's too warm, we sleep. So somewhere in between there, Lord, where we could be comfortable, but yet more importantly, available to your Holy Spirit, I pray you would do that now. And please have your way. Please minister. Please, Lord, draw us close to you. Let us understand you and know you better and love you more. And please, Lord, may we have so much fun in your word. Lord, may it burst open and come alive and speak to every one of us. Captivate us in it, Lord. Every moment, Lord, may you minister to us in it. And may we hear your voice tonight. And Lord, what we need to know, what instruction we need to get, I pray we would get tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I would say tonight as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. All right. Did you? Yeah. You're like, that was sounding weird, right? Um, you could probably even turn. You can check for yourself whether you want to turn it down. Uh, turn with me. I'm going, to, I'm going to take you to a couple places. Uh, the first, by the way, is in the book of Acts chapter 9. Would you go to chapter 9? Because much of what we get in this now is going to be Paul's personal testimony. And so I want to take you there first. So go with me to Acts chapter 9. 
It says this. Verse 1 of Acts 9. And then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This Saul, by the way, is the same person, of course, who's writing Galatians under the name of Paul. This Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, which is, by the way, roughly 120 miles or so away. And I remind you, the quickest way to get there would be by horse. So that if he found any who were of the way, which, by the way, was the original name of Christians, the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? Most important question he'll ever ask, other than the next one as well. And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I think those are the two most important questions you'll ever have to ask. One is, who are you, Lord? And the second is, what do you want me to do? To Jesus, those questions, of course. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, appropriately it's so, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now understand, God has already shown him the guy that's going to heal him before he asks him. Isn't that kind of fun? God knows Ananias is going to say yes ultimately, but Ananias has this problem. And much like perhaps many of us, we try to inform God as if he didn't get the memo. Then Ananias answered and he said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then it says in verse 19, notice it says the word then. Then means afterwards. That's all it means. Afterwards, there was some point where Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now, before I go any farther, I want you to realize Saul was on his way to kill Christians, arrest them, and kill them in Damascus. He meets Jesus outshining the noonday sun will be Paul's personal testimony, by the way, for what it's worth in Acts 22. He will tell Timothy that, that the Lord Jesus dwells in inapproachable light in the Timothy letters. I think he experienced it for a moment. 
And as he falls to the ground and asks these questions, he is a changed man. He is in this situation where he realizes that everything he's been doing is a lie. And I don't know if you've ever really thought this out, but that the person most given over to seeking to stomp out Christianity in the first century was not an atheist. He was very religious. He was perhaps even more religious than many of the people he was arresting. He was completely devoted to his religion. And I want you to recognize that just because someone is religious does not make them your partner in arms. Have you ever had that? You start sharing Jesus with someone and they say, oh, I'm spiritual too. That would be like you being a pharmacist and someone going, oh, well, I deal drugs too. It's not exactly the same thing. Well, you know, I play around with drugs and it changes people's composure and does all kinds of things to them. Yes, but the purpose and its affectability for its purpose. There's one cure and Jesus is his name. Saul then makes his way into Damascus, a very different man. There's a group of people there waiting to join Saul into this tirade to ransack Damascus of its Christians, those called the way. But he's different because he's one now himself. He has met the risen, living Jesus Christ. And that becomes the problem is that Paul did not join a new club because it was cooler than the last. Paul did not become part of something because he was lonely and he just wanted to fill the spot with a new society. Paul met Jesus. That will be the thing that will change him, for which then he will not move away from. Jesus taught us in Matthew 13 that the politic of the church will always be mingled with problems. There will be people with bad intentions. There will be those pretending to be Christians who aren't even in leadership. Within the structure of the church, the seed stealers, those that seek to take away the word of God, will set up their headquarters within the structure of the church itself. There will be those who will receive the word with gladness but grow no roots and fizzle out when persecution for the word comes or from the word comes. There will be those who will receive the word and seem to grow. But then the cares of this life, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches will choke the life out from them. All of that will be within the politic of the church. There will be leaven that will work its way into pollute the church. In each of the cases, the politic of the church will never be perfect on earth because it involves us. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you better not join it because if you find it, you'll ruin it. The only perfect church will be in church service will be the one we get when we stand before God. Because when we see Him, 
We will become like him, for we will see him as he is. But Paul has met Jesus. And it will be that that he gives testimony of. Not how we join the church. Here he will give his testimony for the purpose of making clear that this Jesus he encountered did not come through man or by man or through a program or through a whatever. The bottom line is he met Jesus personally. And my question to you is, have you? I'm not telling you, have you been confirmed or have you gone through a course in something or whatever, and at the end of it all, you just said something. Have you met this Jesus? Because the difference between meeting this Jesus and joining a club is everything. It's really hard to stay faithful to a club when it demands the amount of sacrifice. So on one side, a guy says, I've decided to join a new political party. These are my new standards now. These are the new ways that I vote. These are the new things. And this is all the stuff I've kicked out of my house because it doesn't apply anymore. And for which then we look and we say, well, that political party better have a lot to offer you because you certainly are making a great deal of sacrifices. And we would just kind of wonder, wow, I don't see how that's going to play out. On the other side, a man says, I'd like you to meet my wife. She's beautiful and amazing, and I'm sorry, guys, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. I want to spend time with her, and we all meet her and go, you know, I really don't blame the guy. He's like, you know, all those things that I used to do and I really liked doing, to be honest, they just don't compare. The difference is the relationship. Joining a politic gives us no new relationship. If anything, it may place us into a new society, but it doesn't. It's not based on, the foundation is not a relationship. Paul's meant Jesus. It tells us then, after he spent some days, notice in verse 19 again of Acts 9, he received food with strength, and then some time later, Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he's the Son of God. Then all those who heard were amazed and said, Isn't this he who destroyed, not even sought to, but notice destroyed, those who call on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. No, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket, like a poop basket's the idea. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. And again, that's a 120-mile journey south. He tried to join the disciples. Isn't that funny to think? They were all fleeing from him when he left Jerusalem. They, I mean, Paul left Jerusalem, and they were like, whew, finally, a moment where we don't have to keep looking over our shoulder from the madman who's trying to kill us all. And I guarantee you, if we were in a prayer meeting, and we probably would have been, about Saul specifically, I guarantee you our prayers, even if all of us were praying and seeking the Lord's will, and all of a sudden Jenny stands up and says, what if the guy gets saved? We would be like, shut up. That's not going to happen. And you're like, well, how big is your God? Well, he's huge, but that's unreasonable. You know what another word for unreasonable is? Miracle. No miracle is reasonable by virtue of being a miracle. And he comes back and he tries to join them. 
But they were all afraid of him and didn't believe that he was a disciple, understandably. They, you know, wouldn't you think, oh, the guy's just kind of pretending and then he's going to jump in and we're like, ah, and then kill us all. But Barnabas took him and brought him into the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and, they, and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. So when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and they sent him out to Tarshish. Again, which is where he came from. He saw all of Tarshish. And it says, listen, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Once Saul left, they had peace and were edified. Oh, Saul may have been on fire to preach Jesus, but the words that are used here are words like argue, debate. That's what Paul had, or Saul had learned before he came to Jesus, and he was trying those things out. And he, he's going to ultimately conclude, he's on the road to it, he's just not there yet at this point, he's going to conclude that the gospel is the power of salvation, not the ability to argue. Wouldn't it be great if we did too? Now keep your finger there so we can compare for a moment and go back to Galatians. He starts this section by saying again, Do I now seek to persuade men? Or am I really trying to please men? And I think this is a really good place for us to start. A pieto, to convince or pacify, to make friends with is the idea of a word for we see as persuade. It isn't just persuading like I'm trying to convince you of something, because that word is the word keruso from which we get the word preach. Here's a word that's simply in the idea of it is, is you're trying to sway them into favor with you. And then the word aresco means to make agreeable, to, to appeal to someone's emotions, to, to bid their sympathy or to draw them in. And whether you know it or not, I think we all do this to some degree. You meet somebody and you want them to like you, even if you don't want them to be romantically interested in you or you don't want them to be your best friend, you still don't want them to hate you. And understand, God created within us a desire to be wanted. That appetite God gave us so that we would call out to him and be satisfied. But the moment we start to hand that away from the Lord, we will constantly be seeking for affirmation from everybody else. And the point Paul is making here is, is that do you really think I'm doing this to try to get men to applaud me? To whom and for whom am I doing this? Jesus taught us in Matthew 6. And this is when Jesus is starting a revolution, by the way, with a bunch of people who just a moment ago were paralyzed and possessed and powerless. And now they're none of those things. And he tells them that they're blessed. And he goes, now listen, I'm going to do more than just save you from what you were. I'm going to recruit you to change the world. But there's a group that's kind of there right now, but they're not doing what they're supposed to. And he goes, let me kind of bring it out this way. When you get there, don't be like them. When I put you in their place, don't be like them. And this is what it looks like. When they give, they give so everyone can see it. When they pray, they pray so that everyone can hear it. And when they fast, they fast so that everybody can sympathize. Oh my goodness, how spiritual you must be. Deborah, look at how you just, you look so hungry, you're eating your nails. Oh, you must be fasting. And you get the idea that it's, and Jesus is like, you realize 
what are you trying to do this for? You're doing it to be seen by men. And he goes, don't do it that way. That's what the religious leaders of the day are doing. It told us, by the way, in regards to the people during Jesus' day, that they wouldn't confess him because John 12, 43, to be honest, the people loved the praise. Listen to this. Listen to this closely. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. When was the last time you ever thought that God said a word of praise to you? I'm not saying that he praises you like, oh, great and mighty Isidro. But the idea of actually praising someone like a parent, when a child, when a child does something well. Say, well done. It's hard enough for a child to take their parents, you know, you know, applause on something like that. But the idea of it's quite simple. It's like, look at, you can get it from a man or you can get it from God. The difference is when God does it, it's always honest. It's always real. It's always spot on. And it doesn't change like a person that can applaud you one moment and grab a stone the next. Isn't scripture full of occasions like that to teach us? It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, 4 and 5, that the Lord, tell me if this scares you or encourages you, the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Does that kind of chill you a little bit? But if I took what Jesus taught me in Matthew 6, when he said, when you give, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Or don't even let your, let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Do it in private. And when you pray, get alone and pray. Because your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. But listen to the rest of that First Corinthians passage. In First Corinthians 4 it says, He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. And, he goes, and then each man's praise will come from God. Imagine if God brings out at that moment the things you did for no other sake than you just loved him. Putting Jesus in the center of my universe will, desire, will require serious reconstruction. And here's the first thing. And I'll be honest, I think this will be one of the biggest things we will fight for the rest of our life here. The idea of who we really want to please and how convinced we are that God can be pleased like another man or a human being can be. He wants to praise you. Not elevate you like you're greater than he is, but praise you like someone who loves another person would of something that's a good choice. He's just waiting for a reason to do it. What Paul does say, though, here, notice, is if I really wanted to do that, if I really wanted the praise of men, I will never be a bondservant of Christ. You need to recognize what's being said here. I cannot be Christ's bondservant and a man pleaser. Because to serve Christ faithfully is going to make enemies. And I have to get over that. It is going to unplease people. The same way, to be honest, that a doctor would be unpleasing when he gives you the diagnosis of something serious, even if he can provide you with a cure. But if he's worth his salt, he better. And haven't we all heard horror stories? We'll call them NHS horror stories. Of somebody who had cancer for years and went for several different times to go be looked at, but nobody seemed to give him the proper diagnosis. Now, went, oh, it's just this. It's indigestion. It's whatever. Here, take some antacids. And the end of it all, the poor guy had a, a, a tumor in his stomach or something. And you have no respect for an individual that gives such a lame uncaring 
unattentive diagnoses over something so serious. And so many people die over these kind of things. Shouldn't we be all the more the same? Better in the sense of being attentive and real. The same as what a good doctor would look like, who was attentive and saying, I do know where the cure is. So listen. As he moves into this area, Paul knows he's going to make enemies with this. And by the next chapter, it tells us that Paul openly rebuked Peter. Now, the more we understand Peter, the more I would say it took a lot of chutzpah to go and say, hey, from across the room and nail Peter on something. But please hear me. We need to start with this. Is there even a part of us, any part of us, that genuinely desires to please God more than man. I mean, if we're honest. Or is there, are we still trying to work in such a way to try to keep them both mildly not discontent? I mean, I'm just trying to be honest. I'm trying to be transparent. I mean, are we really at a place where we're just like, is there some way that I could sort of be tepidly pleasing here but then be tepidly pleasing. Do you know what that looks like? It looks like the kind of guy that wants to make sure all of the girls still like him, but he plays the line just close enough so that he doesn't look like he's cheating on his wife. How does that, do we have any respect for such an individual? Please hear me, beloved. Friendship with the world is to be an enemy with Christ because the world's under the sway of the wicked one. That's what James and John have taught us and their brothers respectively. So as he starts to play onto this, he goes, look at this whole system that you've built isn't based on Christ. It isn't based on God. This religious system that you guys are a part of, Paul's like, I know your system. I came from your system. I was a valedictorian of your system. But it isn't Jesus-centered, and that's the problem. So I make known to you, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. Because I neither received it that way, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, literally the religion of the Jews, for how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism, again, the religion of the Jews, Beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I know what it's like to be excited about a wrong thing. I know what it's like to be zealous in my religion. I know what it's like to be fervent and be fervently wrong. I know what it's like to be so head first, heart first, boiling over, fiery, full of passion, and yet be a bluttering idiot in it because what I was actually holding on to was a lie. I understand where you're coming from, and you need to recognize I've been in your world, and I'm never going back, but not because I joined a better club, but I met the real person. The problem is you've set up a politic. with no relationship. And the politic is supposed to be a God politic. That makes no sense. That is all the laws of marriage without a, mar- without a spouse. Because I know what that's like. I, and, and I know many of us here have experience 
and a place where law came before love and rules became before relationship. Now, we can play that anyways. We can kind of whip that thing around anyways, but, but I want to just encourage you. Where is your walk with Christ tonight? Where is He at in the decisions you make? Are we busy trying to figure out what rules He's given us? Or are we still actually seeking to please Him? Because that's very, very different. So He goes, you know where I came from. I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. I was a valedictorian of this Judaism. And he says, listen, I persecuted the church. I tried to kill it. I advanced in my Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. I was more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Verse 15 says, But then when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Listen. I met Jesus not because of men, not because of a program, but because Jesus wanted me to. My life was changed because of Jesus. My life was transformed because of Jesus. Not because of a program, not because of man or men, but because of Jesus. And this becomes the problem, beloved, as we begin to move forward and to just start to compare it for a moment to Acts chapter 9. There are certain things that can be used as vehicles. People can be used as vehicles. The problem is people are still human. I mean, that's just the way that works. Programs can be used to bring Jesus. I've seen people come to know Christ through sinful evangelists. Sinful because they're human. Just some of their sins become very, very profiled because they're Completely inappropriate. Well, what sin is appropriate, but I mean they become to the point where they're very ministry-destroying sins. The question is, did they get saved? Just because the guy's a yutz does not mean the person that gets saved. If you preach the gospel and you said yes to Jesus, the question is, have you encountered Jesus or did you just follow the, the rules of this guy? I've seen people come to Christ through AA. The problem, though, sometimes is, is that they have to start to figure out that AA is not their savior. Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not their savior. Jesus is. I've seen people come to know Christ through the Alpha Course. Same thing. Praise God for anything that brings the Gospel. But in the end of it all, the question is, are they going to meet Jesus? Or are they going to join your club? Are they going to bow to your rules in the end of it all? Or are they going to meet the, the, have a relationship with the Savior of the universe? And beloved, please hear me in this. Because, I mean, this is why I'm thankful for things like the Alpha Course or whatever. Because if it gets more people to share the gospel, then bring it on. You want to invite people over and have meals and bring, in a, you know, bring your theological questions or whatever. I don't even know it well enough to be able to say yay or nay. All I know is this. If the gospel gets preached, bring it on. I mean, if you want to try it, try it. Try to just invite someone to dinner and share to Jesus with them. I'm a fan of that. But in the end of it all, the point is not whether they're going to just agree with you. The question is whether they're going to be willing to accept the relationship with the one who died to, to, to have one with them. And that's what Paul is saying. So what happens, by the way, is you take somebody and they give their life to Christ. Like, let's just say what happens. Here's the situation. Martin gets all excited because he learns that he's a sinner. Now that gets you excited in a pretty negative way. 
And there's something inside of us that goes, I need to get right. I just don't know how to get right. And out of kindness, Daniel tells him, which is a great person to share with Martin because he doesn't speak any French. That's Paul to the Gentiles. I mean, he, he can't even say blue cheese. Well, anyway, so, you know, he's like, he's like, and Martin just goes, speak English, man. I understand you better. And, and he's like, look at Jesus died on the cross to save you. I'm going to risk it here. He died on the cross to pay for what you know inside is wrong. He paid for it on the cross, died, was buried three days, and then just like Scripture promised, rose again. Sound familiar? Rose again on the third day according to Scripture, and it was seen by a lot of people, and he wants a relationship with you, and he wants your permission to say yes, and Martin says yes. And his life is transformed. His sins are forgiven. He's set free. And you go, that was so simple. And you're like, yes, it was. And then Martin says, you know what? I want to tell other people about that. And Daniel goes, that's a great idea. Go tell other people. And he's like, but I don't know what to tell them. Tell them what happened to you. But that seems so simple. Exactly. So he starts to share. And he turns around and he shares with a person who speaks no French. They speak some other language, and both of them have very few common words together in English, but enough to understand. Why? Because it's simple. And he doesn't have a lot of answers, but he has the answer. And he says, let me tell you what happened to me. I met Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? There was this guy. What's his name? Not important. But there was this guy. And he told me that I was a sinner that I was guilty before God, but Jesus died on the cross for those sins, like Scripture promised, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And he was seen by a lot of people, and now I have a relationship with him. How do you know he's real? If you knew what he was doing in my life, this is where I was yesterday, here's where I am today, and they're so different. And as, as, as Martin starts to share, people start getting saved by the boatloads. And we're seeing a great revolution until Martin runs into a mature Christian. And I mean that quote unquote. That says, excuse me, where is your credentials? He goes, what credentials? And he says, can you explain the theological teleological argument? And he says, I don't know what that word is. I may never know that word. Is that English? Where do you stand on end times? What? End times. What, like tonight? Well, let me ask you, are you a dispensationalist? What am I dispensing? Well, let me ask you, which, which you know, which, are you Pentecostal? Are you liturgical? He's like, I, I, I don't even know what any of that means. And he walks away feeling so defeated. And they're like, well, the problem is you need to go to seminary. Seminary? What's that? That's a school so that you can learn how to properly minister. And he thinks, oh, okay. Well, maybe that's what I should do then. So he enrolls in this school. And at the school, they show him, well, they, they, they improperly teach. And I'm going to tell you this is all seminaries, but this is what can happen. And it happens a lot. They're like, well, first of all, we're not really sure when it says the Gospel of John if it was written by John. There could be a lot of other people that could have written that and put John on it. 
And then there's the book of Acts. And we're not really sure who wrote the book of Acts, even though it could say. And we're really not sure in Galatians when it says Paul, if it really is Paul or somebody pretended to be Paul and wrote with large letters, look how it's my own signature, Paul. And by the time he's done, he's so confused. And guess what happened? The people who were getting saved by the boatloads are like, they're still, but all of a sudden he got shut down. And the reason he got shut down is because somehow he started thinking it was about him. How do you better argue, Martin? How do you bring in these things? And do you have dusty evidence? And do you have skull fracture pieces? And what about this? And what about monkey pieces in, in, in Africa? And what about those cults? And what about, and he's like, I don't know, I didn't know about, the most amazing thing is in the beginning was just him and Jesus. And that was enough. And everything they added on was just like weight that sat upon him. And now he's like this. And he's dragging his knuckles on the ground. And nobody's getting touched. Welcome to new Christianity. Let's light some candles. Let's put out some incense. We'll put a couple pictures of people who died a couple hundred years ago. But it's okay because they're Italian, so they'll probably talk to God. Uh, you know, or whatever, because they're closer to Latin, which isn't even an original language. And whatever. And I'm, I'm not trying to diss. Here's the point of it. Well, maybe I am trying to diss. But here's the point of it. Is that most of church now is, we don't do anything. You know why we don't do anything? Because we feel like we can't do anything. I don't want to talk to someone. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? I'm sorry. I didn't think you were Google. I still don't think you're Google. That should comfort you. Do you have a testimony? Have you met Jesus? Imagine if I run into Lauren and Lauren goes... Jenny McCaffrey? I don't believe she exists. Like, Jenny McCaffrey? Believe it. Jenny McCaffrey definitely exists. She's like, how do you know that? Because I just... I just poked her in the head. She's there. That was kind of fun. Um, here's the point, beloved. Is that if you have a relationship with that person, with like, that's the part that people can't fight. And that's the part none of us use because the enemy knows how effective it is. And that's why we're afraid to use it. Because you know why? Because mine's not as crazy as someone else's. You don't want to hear crazy? I was a sinner going to hell and I met God who died on a cross and rose again and changed my life. Guess what your testimony probably is? You were a sinner who met God, who died on a cross and rose again and changed your life. Everything else is kind of like personal details. But isn't that crazy? You met God. In your filthy, nasty, rotten, awful state, you met God. And he changed your life. Did he not change your life? Hey, don't compare details. Those are the points. People go, I don't believe in God. Funny, I was just talking to him a couple of minutes ago. You sound psychotic. And if it wasn't for the fact it's real, it does sound psychotic. A guy that lived thousands of miles ago, thousands of years ago, I talked to. He was killed like a criminal, but rose again. And guess what? Though I'm not that way, I love him and he loves me. And one day he's going to suck me into the sky. That sounds mental, but it's true. Beloved, please hear me. 
In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says this about the Antichrist. Nobody could overcome this guy. I mean, this guy seems invincible except this. They overcame him with the word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and they didn't love their lives to death. You see, the blood of the Lamb is what cleansed us. The issue is whether we'll, we'll share that testimony. How, what's going to make me share this testimony? That I don't love my life unto death. The moment that I can say to live as Christ and to die as game is the moment I will actually share my testimony with someone. Now what I've learned, I have to be careful. When someone says, I've got five questions and we're expecting them to get done in five minutes. And the first one is like, how did you come to know Christ? I'm like, I ain't going to ask any more questions after that one. I did it in 10 minutes. I was pretty proud of that. The point is this. It doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be fancy. Chances are, if you give your testimony, it'll probably sound like something you would say. Shouldn't that be right? I would expect to hear Mary's testimony. I would expect to laugh halfway through it because every time Mary shares for about five minutes, it's funny. different people, if Allie were to share her testimony, I'd sure it'd be the same thing. The point is this, not that you have to make it funny. Just be yourself. The point is, is that when you've encountered Jesus, you have something to say. That, by the way, will be bespoke. It will be Shantae flavored. It'll be Anna flavored. It'll have a little reindeer sausage hanging off the side. Whatever it is, but it'll be, it'll be Anna flavored. It will be Marcia flavored. It will be Bruno flavored. And what happens is when people go, well, I want to talk about this or that. And you're like, you know, you want to that crazy priest up in Ireland. I'm like, why would you ask me about a priest in Ireland? Do I look Irish? Do I look like I'm somewhere taking Vespers up somewhere in Dublin? Stop diverting. Let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. My challenge to you this week is to get alone with God. And we'll talk about that in a moment as we bring this around to close. Just to get alone with God and say, God, show me that. So I was. Nothing fancy. This is how I encountered you. This is what you've done. Now look at this with me. This is what he says here. He says, listen. I didn't get it from man. I wasn't taught it by man. It was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that, by the way, listen, that, let that be the point. Someone says, well, what about that, guys? I don't know, but let me bring you back to Jesus. Well, what about the Inquisitors? I don't know, but let me bring you back to Jesus. Well, I read this story. Funny, I just met Jesus. Well, I was talking to this guy. I was talking to Jesus. You want to meet him? What would happen if we stopped trying to fight every argument and die on every hill and just made it about Jesus? Do you realize what would happen? They'd realize they have to deal with Jesus. Now listen. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. And then went back to Damascus. When in the world did this happen? Do you remember that then in verse 19? Right there. Go back for a moment, if you would, please. Go back to Acts 9. 
That should be fairly easy to find, right? You've been there? In Acts 9, and I'm getting there myself as well. It says this, verse 19. So when he had received food, remember he was blind. This guy came in, laid hands on him. He could now see. He took some food. He was strengthened. Stop. Then Saul spent some days with the, with the disciples at Damascus. After that point, sometime after that point, Saul spent some days with disciples at Damascus. The question is, why is this Arabia trip not mentioned in the book of Acts? Because it's a book of Acts. What Paul did, what the apostles did, the practices of the apostles. Why did Paul go to Arabia? Can I just suggest this? And this is my opinion, but I believe it. I stand on it. You're welcome to disagree and be a Christian. But, but, but humor me for a moment. All that training, all that education, all that information floating around in his head, all of these things that were, if you'll pardon me for saying, wealth in some arena or another. Imagine if you're just like, well, I'm just going to try to click in and now just try to convert that to Christianity. Paul got away. Do you know what happens in Arabia? I, I kind of get the idea of what Paul's like. He's like, you know what? Hold on, you guys. Before we even do anything, I, I, need, I need to get away. I need to get away and go, all right, Jesus, if you're really real, how do I reconcile this? I, I call it Arabia time. It's a term I use quite regularly because I think we all need more of it. I mean, we always talk about getting alone to find ourselves. By the way, if you find yourself, you probably have a good right to run. Because who we are without Christ is a scary thing. I need to get away just to get my head together. I get that. But do we get our Arabia time where we get alone with the Lord and we say, Lord, now wait a minute. If you're really real and going to be the Lord and the center of my life, how do you become the center of my life with dating? How do you become the center of my life, in my case, with marriage? with being a father, with being a pastor, you'd think, well, doesn't that die? I mean, being a pastor, shouldn't Jesus be at the center of it? Really? Do you really think that every time you see some guy that's called pastor, that Jesus is the center of their ministry? Do you know how easy it is to make yourself the center of your ministry? Do you know how easy that is? All it takes is one person to do something weird, freaky, funky, na nasty, or whatever. And you're offended, you're whatever, you're taking an accusation, feeling an accusation, thinking an accusation, or hearing about somebody else. How easy is it to make you the center of everything? Isn't that what we're trained to do? It's like me at the center of it all. How horrible is that? Well, that's our song before we came to Christ. And I get the idea what's sort of like, you know, you see some guy and he's like, said yes to Jesus, but he's still really weird in his relationships with people. He's still really weird on the way that he views the world or what success looks like or whatever it is. And you realize it's like, man, that guy needs Arabia time to reconcile. What if you die single? You'll never die single because you're engaged to Christ. You're like, but... Real, you know, successful people. This is what a successful person looks like. Well, then you need Arabia time on what a successful person looks like. 
And don't think for a moment pastors don't have to deal with that one. Some I mean, people start asking how big is your church and how many people come and whatever this thing is. Whatever. It's like success is always going to be gauged by the world. Everything is going to be defined by the world. Unless you get alone and say, Lord, by your word, redefine everything. Redefine my marriage. Redefine the way I look at life. Redefine what work looks like. Redefine what it really means to wake up in the morning and what the day should look like. Redefine the way I see myself. Redefine those things in regards to that I'm afraid of or that are bigger than me or that I, that I look at with dread. Redefine the way that I'm going to handle school or the way that I'm going to handle friends or the way that why I have friends and what that should look like. Redefine what should look like my crowd or my society. Redefine the way that I engage my neighbors. Redefine the way that I'm going to take the bus. Yeah, it sounds weird, but yes. Because, man, you know what? So much of my life is like, I wake up and I go, like, man, I really should have thought that one through. The Lord's like, well, I think we need some more Arabia time. And don't think for a moment that 10 years into it or 20 years into it, you still don't need Arabia time. The Lord just brings up a new thing and you're like, whoa. Okay, here's a new area for me to get Arabia time. And even with Paul, though he got his Arabia time, he came back and Jesus was the center, but just... His practices still needed to change. He had to learn the gospel was the power of salvation and not the ability to argue. But at least the Lord was the center of other things. And the reason I say that is, it isn't like a single trip will do it. You know what I'm saying? But a single trip is a great place to start. And I don't know what that Arabia looks like for you. For some people, that is a trip away to something. For some people, it's a trip to Israel. I'm not plugging it. For me, it is. Every time I go, I have my Arabia time, and I'm like, all right, Lord, is there some area I'm missing? Is there something I'm not listening to? And I start laying it out. How am I with Shantae? How am I with Ruthie? How am I with Suzanne? How am I with the church? How am I with the people that I would call my friends? How am I with the people I would call my board? How am I with the people that I engage in Camden? How am I with the people that I engage at Covent Garden? How am I I with the people when I'm walking through Soho and seeking to find places for ministry? How am I in this, Lord? Am I missing something? Am I missing something in regards to what we think about where we should be as a church? Where we should be locationally? Where we should be in regards to the building? Where we should be in regards to the people? Where we should be in regards to what guys should be raised up or not raised up yet? Or what we should look like by this point? Where am I in that? Am I still trying to bring in the old ideas or am I really hearing you? Somewhere down the line, Paul went, you know what? Now that the scales have fallen off my eyes, I need to start going and starting to see things clearly. And I bet if we were quiet for just a moment, the Lord would even give us at least one thing. He'd say, hey, wait a minute. The reason this is such a struggle in your life right now is you need Arabia time on it. The reason this is such a monster, it's so big to you, is because you haven't really taken it and gotten alone with me and said, how do you want to define this now? What do you call this? You know, it says what is worshipped or honored or adulated or held precious in the sight of the world is an abomination to God. Do you realize that's what Scripture says? Lord, what, what if, what if, I mean, honestly, what if? He said, all right, Lord, 
you're right. What should a relationship look like? What should I, how am I supposed to see myself? What if it started with that? God, I just want to get alone and say, how do you define this? Because if this isn't defined by you, if this isn't defined by you, then everything else is going to get messed up. Because I'll define it as what? Lonely, weak, failure, not enough, loser. What will you define this as? Not me, yourself. And you know what that's like because those are the things you deal with. And unless you can actually lay it before the Lord and go, Lord, get me in your word now and, and, and answer this. How do you define this? You're going to listen to the enemy. And the reason is because you'll hear it on the bus, you'll see it on TV, you'll hear it on the radio, you'll see people converse about it. It'll be everywhere you go around you and you don't even have to intentionally listen. You'll overhear what other people think about human beings. It is, so, it is opposite of the way God wants you to look at yourself. So listen, wrap this up with me. After all of this, I came back to Damascus. And once I came back to Damascus, I went up to see Peter. And I remained with him for 15 days. That's this whole trip where it says in Acts 9 that he went then and made his way into Jerusalem. Barnabas helps him in, which means that Paul has a long-standing relationship with Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who got him into Jerusalem church, who was also the one who introduced him into the church in Antioch, by the way. And then once he had that trouble with the with the Hellenists, then they sent him back to to Tarshish. And at that point, he just said, "Listen, everyone. Just all they knew was that the guy that tried to kill everyone is now the guy that's trying to preach the very gospel he tried to destroy. The faith he once tried to destroy, and as a result, they glorified. Listen, you know what? And it was, they glorified God in me. You know what that means? It means that what they really saw was was God. They didn't see me." They actually looked and said, you know, glory to God. I, I see Jesus in you. And that is the end result, the proper end result of a real Arabia time. All right, Lord, how did they see Jesus in my work? How did they see Jesus? How do I see Jesus in this relationship? How do I see Jesus among my friends? So that when they look, they see Jesus. I mean, wouldn't it be weird just to think every pastor that we prayed, how do they see Jesus in this church? Oh, that would be so good. If in everything, how is that? Oh, oh, that they would glorify God in this. And here's my prayer for you and me tonight. First, that we would really genuinely recognize that we have our testimony to give if you've encountered Jesus. 
if you've encountered Jesus, hey, maybe you've been walking stupid lately. Maybe you've been making, you've been cutting corners, you've been compromising, and you've been really not making the kind of decisions that really invest in this relationship properly. I don't know. You can fool me. But then the good news is I don't have to take a vote at the end of this whole thing. It's you and the Lord. That's what it's going to be about anyway. It's going to start with the two of you. It's going to end with the two of you. Maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe some things actually were okay and they're not now. Well, it sounds like that needs Arabia time. What if the Lord actually said, you know what? You need to forgive. You need to let go of. You need to Think about the things he could say. I guarantee you this. If you listen, you'll hear him tell you that he loves you and that he's never changed his mind. And his desire for you today is as hot as it's ever been. That he really wants you. Maybe the testimony will be more than just how you came to Christ, but what he did even tonight. Well, would you pray with me? Lord, I recognize in Scripture that it all starts with, I mean, there's only one way to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Father, you've made that clear. For us to encounter you, Lord, there, that your son is involved is our payment or we stand before you guilty in our own sin. So we openly confess to start with, Lord, just that, you, that Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, died on the cross for us, rose again. We recognize that's where this starts. But Lord, there's, that's the beginning of this journey. It's like the beginning of a marriage, standing at the altar and saying, I do. It's not the end of it, it's the beginning of it. We begin this journey where you will not change, but I need to. And I confess to you, Lord, that even in this far 30 years into it, that there are still areas I need to get alone. And, and I, I can't even tell you I know what they are often. Where I need to get alone with you and say, God, I need you to define this. I need you to tell me what this is now. And I realize that there are things, Lord, that you didn't bring earlier because you had other things to move first. Things to build and to lay solid so that when you reveal something else that's more symptomatic, you've already dealt with the cause. And cleaning up at that point is, is relatively easy. But Lord, I pray right now, having made that confession and accepted the gift of your Son, confessing Him as my Lord and Savior, my ransom, my payment. And I don't want to just say, well, now I'm banking on heaven. You have a relationship to develop. And I just want to confess to you that there are certainly times and decisions that defy the fact that I'm in hot pursuit of an intimate relationship with you. Choices that I make sometimes, Lord, can be so selfish, trying to put me back in the center of this universe. And it's so dumb. And there, when I'm there, it's like a black hole. It's fear and it's emptiness and it's entitlement and feeling like I should be getting what I'm not or, uh, you know, or whatever, Lord. There's just so much that's there and it's discontent and it's, and it's empty and it's shallow and it's hollow and it's, it's vacant and it's just all of the stuff that I hate. And, and, and the, the odd thing is I'm the one who put me there 
and then I'm the one experiencing all of this, and, and it's like I realize that the only real way to see this handled is to get you back in the center of the universe, and that happens with a simple, with a simple asking, and I'm, I'm asking you that now. Lord, if there are relationships where you're not the center, would you please show me what it is? Redefine it tonight. Tonight, give me Arabia time, even if it's just that you keep me awake and I lay. Lord, not to hear other things, not to be distracted by things, but Lord, to hear your voice and only your voice speak, that voice of love, that still small whisper that could still strip the forests bare and splinter the cedars of Lebanon and fling the the universes into space and into orbit, Lord, the same word that holds all of our atoms together still in a still small voice, Lord, speak to us tonight in such a way, Lord, that, that we would allow you to define who you are and who we are in you. We want a title. We want a, we want a shingle to put. We want a category to give ourselves. You give it tonight. And from there then show us how to be the center of our relationships, how to be the center of our families, how to be the center of this church, how to be the center of our workplaces, how to be the center of our neighborhoods, how to be, how for you to be the center of all these things. God, tonight, in that, strengthen it so that when we really consider what it really means to have have encountered and continue to encounter you, we recognize that this testimony is a continual story. And when we see someone who we know has not yet accepted you, and they're, they're struggling in their own heart and head with understanding or grasping a concept that you are real, bring us in as evidence and give us the time And share through us by the power of your Holy Spirit the testimony of how we've encountered you and what you've done in our life's end. The magnificent, undefiable evidence of how real you are in our lives. So tonight, Lord, in this room, as we hand this to you, please, tonight, redefine and make us completely yours. Don't let us walk out of here running from you. Let us walk out of here with you, arm in arm like we should be. Nothing between us. Jesus, in your name.